Recovery Elevator, episode 85. And that's one of the things that only makes sense to an alcoholic. You know, it's like, I don't know why I started drinking again. It doesn't make any sense. I told myself I didn't want to. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for two years and two weeks. On today's podcast, we've got John. He took his last drink on August 28th, 2011. He's from Wichita, Kansas. And he gave me the idea for my next podcast episode, which is the three most dangerous words that an alcoholic can say, which are, I got this. Before we get to our comprehensive part two, do you have a drinking problem test? Let's hear from our sponsor, Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get into this. In episode one of the Recovery Elevator podcast, I do a test, a self-analysis test. In fact, I do the test myself. The results were blatantly clear that I am an alcoholic. When I take my first drink, I found it extremely difficult to stop drinking. For about a decade, I lived in the pickle that one drink was too much and a thousand drinks was not enough. How the hell do you navigate that? Well, I found out the answer is don't drink. So with 84 podcast episodes under the belt, this is podcast episode 85. I've got a comprehensive and even better, more direct, 100% accurate test to determine if you have a drinking problem. Now, before we get started, just like you did before you took the ACTSAT, make sure you're hydrated. Make sure you've got plenty of fluids. And if you're drinking a beer while doing this test, don't even need to take the test. You got a drinking problem. So make sure you got water. Make sure you're stretched out. Press pause, take a moment, stand up, do some burpees. Go ahead and loosen that neck up. Get those hamstrings loose. Get the blood flowing. Take some deep breaths. We've got a comprehensive test ahead of us that may have significant results that will affect the outcome of the rest of our life. And like I mentioned, this is episode 85. I've now chatted with over 90 alcoholics, 90 people who don't drink. And I've taken what I have learned, what knowledge I have compiled inside of my brain, and I've put it into my new self-assessment test. This one, guys, there's no such thing as certain, but this is it. This is certain. Now make sure you've got plenty of lead in your number two pencil. If you're using a pen, go ahead and check the ink insert. Make sure you've got enough ink. And during the test, feel free to pause, take a break, and return when you're ready to finish the assessment. Okay, here we go. Question number one. This is a yes or no answer. Number one. Oh yeah, and before I continue, you've heard about the Stanford self-assessment test, those famous alcohol assessment tests. This one... This is going to be the new metric moving forward worldwide to determine if you have a drinking problem. So no need to go spend a lot of money with your licensed clinical physician to determine if you've got a drinking problem. This drinking assessment is free and 100% accurate. 
Okay, let's go ahead and get it started. Question number one is yes or no. Number one, have you ever wondered, do I have a drinking problem? Again, that's not multiple choice. It's not A through F. It's a simple yes and it's a simple no. Now we have reached the halfway mark in our self-assessment test. Feel free to press pause in the podcast episode, grab lunch, take a break, and then return. Okay, question number two. Have you ever asked yourself, would your life be better without alcohol? Again, this question is yes or no. Congratulations, you have just finished the Recovery Elevator self-alcohol assessment of if you have a drinking problem or not. Now let me pull out my answer key and let's go through the results. I know you're all eager to find out. Okay, for questions number one and two, if you have a no for both questions, then, well, I'm sorry. I wish I could help you. I've got some bad news for you. Your quest to determine the cause of all those ailments and struggles and pain in your life, it continues. It breaks my heart to tell you, you don't have a drinking problem. Your search, the saga, to get to the root of your problems, it continues. It didn't end here, and for that, I wish I could help you. Now, if you had a yes and a no, for example, question one, you had a no, question two, you had a yes, or vice versa, well, I did a test study of 10 people, and there was no such results. So, take the test again, go ahead and pull over in your car, start over, clear your mind, clear your thoughts, Maybe wait till a tincture leaves your system and start the test over until you have two no's or you have two yeses. Okay, for those of you that have two yeses, well, I got some great news for you. The great news is you have a drinking problem. I can only make recommendations. It's going to be you who's actually going to have to quit drinking. But hell, we just made significant progress in your life. Pat yourself on the back. Buy yourself a scone. You just made tremendous progress in life. Growth is about to happen if you decide to act upon the test result. Okay, I know you might be saying to yourself, well, I answered yes to number one, shit. I answered yes to number two, double shit. How is this guy Paul spinning this in a way where it's good news? Well, I'll tell you, quitting drinking isn't easy. However, my life is exponentially better than it was when I was drinking. I don't care how rosy your life is, We've all wondered what the hell is wrong with me at a moment or 50 in our lives. For me, trying to get to the root of what the hell was wrong with me cost me thousands of dollars, countless hours of brain energy spent. It's got to be anxiety. It's got to be depression. Hell, it could never be the alcohol because that was my best friend. So if you got a double yes, that's a perfect score. Yeah, you've got a couple speed bumps ahead of you with quitting drinking. But I got more good news for you. A pretty good roadmap of how to do that comes with the previous 84 podcasts. But you've got an opportunity here. Yeah, an opportunity. Given that you take it to drastically improve your life. And, oh, not just your life, probably everybody around you. Yep, your wife, your husband, your brother, your friends, your neighbor, their lives will improve too when you quit drinking. It's the weirdest thing. Again, if you do have a double yes, you'd probably be more willing to punch me in the stomach than give me a high five. But trust me on this. Quitting drinking was the best decision that I ever made. I was addicted to a highly addictive substance, addictive drug called alcohol. I stopped drinking. I broke habits. I told my unconscious mind that I am done drinking. 
That takes a long time to do, by the way. You don't just tell the unconscious mind you're not drinking because that's the part of your mind that necessarily doesn't take or get memos. It has no open box to put the memo slip in. That's the part of the mind that takes a lot of repeated behavior to break those habits. But in all honesty, recovery elevator, these self-assessment tests, they're that simple. Again, I don't claim to have all the answers, but after interviewing 90 alcoholics and doing this for almost two years, I've learned a thing or two. I personally made this thing way more complicated than I ever needed to make it for myself and for you guys, the listeners, for, I don't know, maybe 50 episodes or so. But the further I got along with it, the assessment part of do I have a drinking problem or not, that became much clearer, much simpler. The need for those long, professionally doctored tests, you don't need to do that. It really boils down to those two questions, and it's that simple. Have you ever asked yourself, would your life be better without drinking? There are a couple nights that stand well outside the bell curve that you can throw out. But overall, if you think your life would be better without drinking, that's the answer. And again, if you've ever wondered, do I have a problem with alcohol? That's the answer. Because then, ask yourself another question. Do you ever think normal people ask themselves, hmm, would my life be better without alcohol? Nah, I think the Knicks game's on. I'm going to watch that with a couple of beers. I don't think my brother's ever asked himself, besides a couple of those occasions outside the bell curve, would his life be better without alcohol? The answer is normal people don't think that way. Normal drinkers, they could take it or leave it. They don't care. They don't expend the brain energy on those thoughts. So it's that simple, Recovery Elevator. It really is. But whether you look at it like you've got a broken palate or an awesome new coffee table with a DIY project, this can be spun as tremendously good news. And in hell, I'm not even spinning it. That's what it is. It's fantastic news. You're addicted to alcohol if you got two yeses. And I've also learned that progression goes downhill. You don't become unaddicted very easily. In fact, I haven't interviewed a person yet who has become unaddicted to alcohol. If you know that person, send me their contact info. Okay, now I've got a pretty good life hack after our interviewee, John. But let's hear from John. John, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. How's your day going, John? My day isn't too bad, man. Um, all the important stuff is in place. You know, not everything's exactly as I think it ought to be, but everything, I have everything I need. You know, I woke up in my own bed. Um, I drove my own car to work. Um, I've got a job to come. You know, I'm, I've got clothes on my back. My stomach's full. So, you know, everything that I need in place is in place. Wait a second, John. Within 30 seconds of the interview, I'm going to shake things up. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. You've been sober since August 28th, 2011. Congratulations. However, you just said not everything is in place. What do you mean by that? I, I thought at five years of sobriety, we'd be cured and everything would be perfect. Tell me more about that. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, and I forget, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big book person. You know, I'm, I'm in that program. And there's a part of it that says, you know, we, we're like um, the, the stage director. You know, if everybody would stand in the right place and if the lights would point just the right way, and if everybody would just say the lines perfectly, our lives our lives would be perfect. But after after a little while, I've I've come to realize that just because everything isn't exactly as I think it should be, doesn't mean it's not exactly as it should be. Those damn pages sixty through seventy in the big book. I think it's sixty three or whatever, sixty three, <laughs> sixty seven. But I yeah, hear you, I don't but, have it memorized either, sir. <laughs> yeah, but but even at five years, you uh, I thought for sure you'd have it all, all like perfectly under control, like the controlling part, you know, directing like you, you do that, you do that, you do that. It, it's that's not the case at five years. 
No, no. And I'll tell you what, man, I had my higher power to do list every other day. And then, you know, it just doesn't seem to get done on the time frame that I want it to. So I guess I'm just going to have to keep staying sober and, uh, you know, doing my best. I love it. Well, let's go back to the beginning. John, tell me in your own words. Yes, sir. When was your last drink? Um, my last drink was, um, like, like you'd already mentioned, it's uh, August 28, 2011. I had tried to uh, stay sober on my own before that point. I got a second DUI and decided I should quit drinking. And, um, you know, it would go well for a while. And then after a couple months, I'd just go right back to it. And I'd always find an occasion that was okay to drink on. You know, I'm not driving. Or, you know, my friend's leaving town. It's okay to drink. And this was one of those occasions. You know, my friend was leaving town. And I was told myself, I'm just going to have a couple. You know, I'm just going to have two beers. And um, we left that restaurant. And I had three or four beers, four mixed drinks. And I'd ordered sake for the entire table. And we were going to a bar after that. And I... That was my last real conscious thought. I looked down and thought to myself, how did this happen? How was I only going to have two? And I'm like, oh, well, the wheels are off now. Let's do this. And um, after a $400 bar tab, which, you know, I had the money at the time, so that wasn't the killer part. But obviously $400 of booze between seven people, that might be a little more than you need. I woke up on the floor, crusted in you – know, this is, is going to be a very sensual image. Everybody's going to really like this. Let's I was laying on the floor in my underwear – Covered in puke. There was puke everywhere. There was puke in my bathroom, puke in the hallway, and light was um, shining in through my skylight, my face, and I just kind of felt like my higher power tapped me. I was sort of like, hey, you tired of trying to do this yourself yet? And uh, that was it. I was like, okay. You know, a friend of mine had gotten sober a year before me that drank just like me and um, tried to help me out, and I, you know, gave me a big book, and I'm like, man, I'm glad you got a program. You need it. You drink too much, and let it go. But I texted that guy as soon as I could look at my phone without throwing up. And said, hey, okay, I'm done. I need I need help. John, you had about nine. You might be an alcoholic if lines in there. And I got a lot of questions <laughs> from what you just said. I've got a special one just for me. Oh, we'll, we'll wait to the end on that one. Um, but, yeah, before we go any further, I just want to get a little bit more background about you. Maybe tell us where you're from, yes, what sir. you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what do you like to do yeah, for fun? Absolutely. Well, I live in Wichita, Kansas. I was born and raised here. It's the biggest city in Kansas, but it's still only about 330,000 people, so it's not a big city. It's just the biggest city here. I live with my mom. My dad moved out when I was five. I have a vivid memory of my dad moving out or leaving the day that he left. I woke up early for God knows what reason, and I saw him packing his stuff. I said, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm leaving. And that was that was it for a while. We we never had a very good relationship between here and there. You know, other than that, my life, my, my childhood was pretty normal. You know, even though I only had my mom and we didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, we didn't go hungry. We had clothes on our backs. We went to school. You know, once again, all the important things were there. But, you know, I always felt a little bit different. And, you know, it's just a classic thing. Just about every alcoholic says they just don't feel like you belong to anything. Heard that before. Mm-hmm. I hung out with some bad kids. They they had the opposite of, you know, their mom and dad skipped out on them, but their grandparents took care of them. They gave them everything, but they were still bad kids. And we went to a party, and I drank, and I got sick, you know, and I was like, okay, well, this is not for me. And then I tried it again in high school, and I drank, and I got sick. This was, first time was about 12 or 14, I can't remember, you know, but I immediately got sick. I immediately drank way more than everybody else. I mean, just, just an insane amount. You know, I was having a good time until I got sick, you know, and then when I when I was in high school, about 16, 18, I, I drank again, and, you know, I don't remember it, but I was really horrible to one of my friends, and so I was like, okay, you know, I, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I was getting it when I was younger, like, okay, you can't drink, but when I got older, when I hit 21, the wheels were off, you know, it was, it was okay, you know, because I was uh, of the legal age to drink. Uh, so I, I work at a, a place called Saffron Power, or just Saffron, sorry, we just 
changed our names recently. And what we do is we put wiring in the bottom of 787 crew floors. What that means is where the pilot and the flight crew sit. Below that, there's a ton of wiring. There's a few miles of wiring in every aircraft. We install that and put some of it together. And they... Um, the building is really cool. Um, it's one of the most technologically advanced aircraft on the planet right now. So they have machinery here that kind of looks like transformers, you know, to move the sections around and connect them. So it, it's, an, it's an interesting job if you allow it to be. It can be monotonous, but it sounds a lot cooler than it really is. It's a good job. It pays well. It puts uh, food on the table for my son and I. It's a good job to have. Speaking of my son, I have quick, a John, little boy. Did, did you ever try to What's wire that? the wires underneath the cockpit with a hangover? Into what? Did you oh, ever try to, to wire? To did you act? Do you actually install the wires? I'm thinking like that job would be miserable and lives are at stake if you're doing that while drunk or with. A yeah, man, they they showed us a documentary from Nova about a plane that went down and they finally brought it down to one wire that was in, connected incorrectly into a connector and it yeah it's unsettling you know it's something you think about you know all the time because you can accidentally nick a wire and they have some pretty serious rules in place and then there's no there's no trouble if you tell somebody that you've nicked a wire and they have to replace it i mean they aren't very happy about it but you don't get fired over that you do get fired if you try and hide damage but yeah it's it's a it's a hefty responsibility to think about when you're doing it yeah gravity is pretty unrelenting i've learned that lesson a bunch of times <laughs> anyways i interrupted you there what uh yeah do you have a family things like that what do you like to do for fun that's correct. I have a little boy. He's three and a half, and we we go to the zoo. Um, we're both big comic book fans, and we like to go to the comic book store. I, I enjoy movies. I like to work on my car here and there. I haven't had the time or money to do that as much as I would like to here lately because I got kind of a hot rod I like to mess with. I like to play video games. I'm a, I'm, I think I'm called a casual among those groups. You know, I'm not, I'm not very good at it. I just like to do it. I'm a button masher. I like to experiment with my cooking. I, uh, I've lost a couple hundred pounds over the years, and nice. one of the things, thank you very much, one of the things that I found a big interest in was uh, learning how to cook things that tasted good but were healthy still, and so that's something I like to uh, do, and uh, I'm engaged to be married with a gal that's also in the program, and uh, she's been sober for about for a little over two years now. Um, we're going to be married in May. I'm looking forward to that. The planning of that is something that is a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot... You can spend all day long looking at different wedding stuff and, you know, invites and decorations. And it's all, you know, it's fun. It's it's something I've always wanted to have a family. And so it's something that's fun to do because of, they're just, like I said, you can just plan every single little detail if you want to. So it's it's fun to go over and look at. Yeah. What uh, what tasks do you have in the wedding? Um, right now, none. <laughs> there we go. But, you're probably going to get the DJ task. Let me tell you that right now. So I've got a DJ business here in Bozeman, Montana. We do about 120 uh -huh. to 150 weddings a year. And the common email is like, uh, yeah, my fiance gave me one job. So please don't let me F this up. Yeah. So that's probably going to be you. If you have any questions on how to book a DJ, just, just let me know, John. Okay. Well, I'll call you back. I, I try and have input, you know, she's got some of the same, um, you know, you got to you spot it type things. It's easy for me to say like, oh, you're trying to be too controlling. And then it's like, oh, yeah, because I like to control things. Yeah, if I, you know, I, I try not to let her burn down on stuff, you know, and, and wear herself down on stuff too much. But, you know, of course, women look, you know, it's one of those things that women look forward to, you know, more than men because it's kind of like a societal pressure for women to get married and have a princess style wedding, you know, and be the princess in the wedding and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I tell everyone once in a while, I said, don't forget, I'm getting married too. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me have some input here. And taking dating advice from Paul Churchill is kind of like taking stop stock tips from Bernie Madoff. But I believe your best course of action is to be of service to your fiance during this whole process. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, like I said, I try, I try and help without being too controlling, but controlling is something, you know, I can go off the rails on pretty quickly <laughs> without a problem. So, so I also have to watch myself in the process. Yeah, well, congratulations on getting engaged to somebody who's in the program and sober for two years, your fiance. But let's back it up a little bit before August 28th. And you mentioned that it was, you know, the $400 sake night at the bar. But talk to me a bit before that. Was that your first attempt at quitting drinking? Were you sick and tired of being sick and tired and just decided to stop? You know, it sounds like you had two DUIs. What led up to that point at August 28th? You know, it's, it's uh, all the cliches. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, and I did, I, I tried doing myself, you know, and, and I would, you know, like, like I said, I would always find a special occasion or an excuse to drink and I would go pretty good for, I don't know, maybe a month or two. And, and I was like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I got this, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, um, you know, I can, I can keep my drinking at bay and, you know, just invariably. And I remember one of my friends, one, my good friend's wife uh, asked me, she's like, She's like, you're doing so well. What happened? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know why I can't stop drinking. And she's like, you hadn't drank for what? How long? Three, four months? I said, yeah, something like that. And she's like, why did you start drinking again? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, just, you know, that, and that's one of the things that only makes sense to an alcoholic. You know, it's like, I don't know why I started drinking again. Doesn't make any sense. I told myself I didn't want to. But uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd try, you know, I just basically just quit cold turkey. I didn't, I didn't do any programs. I didn't do any shots. I didn't buy any pills off the internet. You know, Those don't work. I've, or, I've bought them all, things. just to tell you that right now. <laughs> quit drinking pills. What's that as, now? Yeah, quit drinking pills as sold on the internet. They don't work. I tried them all. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, my, my friend of mine that, you know, was in the program, got in the program a year ahead of me. That's what, one of the things he had tried. <laughs> it's like those don't work. And I'm like, I didn't even know that was available. Yeah, you can buy anything on the Internet. But this is one of those things, John, where you actually have to do the work. Damn it. I know. I hate that. Yeah, facing that in the face. And everyone's like, every large journey starts with just one footstep. You're like, yeah, well, I'll take this foot and shove it up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, right, it's yeah. kind of a pain in the ass Yeah, well, I'll take a step towards the bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you said these three words. In fact, on my whiteboard, I'm looking at it right now. Episode 85, the three most dangerous words that an alcoholic can say are, I got this. And I heard oh, you say yeah. this. Mm -hmm. I think I got this. Talk to me about that and what it means for you and the looming, or at least in my own opinion, the looming disaster that awaited. Well, you know, I got this. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a simple phrase, and basically the easiest way for me to explain it is I'm letting my ego tell me, you know, how to, how to run things. You know, my ego is sure it's got everything. You know, it'll, it'll tell me I got this. You know, 500-pound weight bar, yeah, I can bench that. I can't, <laughs> you know, but my ego tells me I can. Trainer, help. Yeah, I know. I'm dying over here. But, you know, it, it, but it's telling me the same thing with booze, you know, and, I, and I've tried a couple other drugs here and there, and, but alcohol was it, man. That's what I wanted to do. And so, like I said, I, I tried on my own without a program, without any real guidance or program or schedule to stay sober. And it would work for a while. It would work for sure for a while, but it just, it would not stick. And that's, that's what I had to have. I had to have something stick. And so when I got that second DUI, I knew if I didn't quit completely and stop drinking, because if I drank, I would get behind the wheel of the car. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, because it's like you always talk about Gary. I always talk about the monster in my head. And the monster in my head, the second I had a, a beer or a drink, uh, any alcohol, would be like, okay, well, we're going somewhere. And the smart part of my brain would be like, no, no, that's not a good idea. And the monster in my head's like, hey, well, I got the keys, so we're going somewhere. Yeah, same and, guy, um, Gary, the monster, ugh, those guys. Yeah, uh, you know, and you and I like the way you say it. It's probably one of the best ways I've heard it put is it'll lie to you in your own voice. Totally. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's the truth, you know. I mean, it it sounds like you telling you, but you know, the smart part of you knows like this is not right. You know, why is this going on? Yeah. And so that's you know that's that's what the program did for me is is so you know is is help me not necessarily keep, keep me sober long enough to where that voice doesn't have as much of an impact anymore. So, John, talk to me about the program Alcoholics Anonymous. There's a lot of listeners listening right now, and yep, I'm talking to you in the red Mustang driving down 55 right now that they will not go to an AA meeting. It's like the last thing they'll ever do. And it sounds like you were almost at that point before, like, hey, I'll quit without a program. But then you knew with absolute sincerity, if you drink again, you're going to get behind the wheel again. And, you know, I can connect two and two, two and two equals four. That's another DUI. That's DUI number three. So talk to me about that step into AA. Yeah, I tell you, it was, and I and I had AA figured out before I went there. I don't know about you. If, if you, <laughs> you figured if, out, huh? take part or not, but I had it all figured out before I walked in. It was a bunch of old white dudes smoking and drinking coffee and complaining about how they couldn't drink anymore. And then, you know, I didn't have to go. I knew that's the way it was. And my friend, <laughs> thankfully, my friend in sobriety, um, we've been friends since high school, and so, and I'm 40 now. And so he said, you know, just just come to. Well, I he got me into um a recovery program here, an outpatient recovery program. Okay. Or he, he led me to one and, and then I called them. That was a whole nother funny. Well, that's another funny story. So I call, I call the recovery place that's right the street from my house. And the guy's like, okay, well you should come in right now. And I was working second shift and that really wasn't, you know, I had to be at work. And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to call a different one, a couple different ones. And he's like, no, come in tomorrow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I love it. But you know, if he hadn't been so serious about it, I probably wouldn't have taken it so seriously, you know? And so, so I went there and they said, you need to start going to meetings. And I was like, okay. You know, and once again, I, I had it all figured out. A bunch of old white dudes drinking coffee, talking about how they couldn't drink no more. And so uh, we walk in, and it's an all-men's meeting on uh, winters here in Wichita. It's an all-men's meeting on Saturday mornings. We went there, and my friend picked me up because I was riding a 50, 50, Dewey 50, as they call them here, a DUI 50cc scooter. So you can't drive a car anymore uh, until you get your license done suspended. And he would pick me up and take me there. And uh, when I walked in, I was I was really blown away. There was old dudes, young dudes, black dudes, white dudes, rich dudes, poor dudes. You know, I mean, it was just right across the spectrum of everything. And I was just like, huh, you know, okay, well, I had that wrong. <laughs> and huh, then, that's uh, weird. you know, <laughs> huh? Yeah, what? Uh, like... Yeah, 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 I had, I, had it, I had it totally wrong. And then the, the thing that always, you know, makes me laugh now is, I don't remember if it was that day or the next meeting that I went to, but somebody said something, and it's, I mean, it was my story. I, I wish I'd written it down. I didn't, but it, they did something that I'd done that I'm sure nobody else had ever done, you know, being drunk. And I was just like, I looked at my, looked at my friend, and I thought to myself, I'm, I'm surely he has told them this so they can make me feel like I'm part of this, you know. So there's no way that guy just has done the same thing as me. <laughs> and it took about a year until I finally was like, okay, you know what? That's that's what alcoholism is. Everybody understands it's because like, everybody's done the same thing, you know. Yeah, I can attune to that yeah. after interviewing as like ninety something people. Yeah, all the stories are the same. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, even in your story, yeah. I, you know, earlier in the story, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> me and John, the same guy. Yeah, the same yeah. story. It's yeah. amazing. It's communal. <laughs> yeah. And did you get a sponsor? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't do that at first, and I'll and I'll tell you honestly, it was it that was. A little bit of an ego and a little bit of a shame thing, you know, because I knew about step four and I didn't want to do step four. I wanted to a la carte steps, you know. I wanted to do, you know, one, two, three, steps. and then, you know, I'm not doing four, so there's no need to do eight and nine, you know, because I'm not going to make amends to anybody, you know, because I'm not doing step four. And then 
sure shooting. The meeting leader, he was kind of one of those crusty old, you know, uh, dudes from AA, you know, you know, speak when spoken to and no crosstalk and all that kind of stuff. And one of the meetings, he's like, I was talking to him, talking. He's like, do you have a sponsor? And I said, no. And he's like, get one. And then just interrupted me immediately and went to the right next, next person without even letting me finish what I had to say. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, as much as I was agitated with him, you know, I know now that he was right. And the sponsor that I got, there was two guys. And I identified, I identified with one because him and I were both cut-ups, you know. The other guy just totally intimidated the crap out of me. I mean, I was, I was scared to death of the dude because he's, he's uh, about an inch taller. I'm six feet tall. He's about an inch taller than I am. And he, he looks like a linebacker, you know. And he's got gray hair and these sharp blue eyes, you know. And it just looks like he used to be a principal and a teacher. So when he looks at you, it looks like he's looking through you, you know. And I just was like, you know, okay, well, that should be the guy probably. <laughs> and that's a sponsor I've had ever since. And nice. it was it was a good thing. Nice. And that guy actually probably can bench five hundred pounds. That's awesome. Yeah, actually probably probably he can. He's he's a big dude. I'm 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 sneaking up on two hundred, but <laughs> nothing nothing like that. Yeah, and talk to me about the weight loss you've experienced in the last couple of years. For me, in recovery, in my last two years, I've really got into cooking. I've actually followed recipes where previously the only recipe that I could perfectly follow, well, not perfectly, but the only recipe I knew was how to get myself to that perfect level of drunkenness. But again, I would always overshoot the mark, but you get the point. Talk to me about <laughs> cooking and your weight loss. Did, did simply quitting alcohol have a lot to do with that? or Are you running? or Tell me more about that. Yeah, you know, it, they kind of go hand in hand. As you know, it sounds like you've been doing some uh, healthier stuff for yourself. Trying. But they, they tend to end up going hand in hand. And the reason that is, is because I started losing weight before I decided to quit drinking. But, well, not before I decided to quit drinking, but when I was trying to do it on my own. And I'd lost about 100 pounds just controlling my portions, where I ate, how I ate, and those, those areas of, of health. But when I would drink... The monster in my head would take the keys to my truck and say, we're going to go to Wendy's and get some junior bacon cheeseburgers. And I was like, no, we've got a fridge full of healthy food. We're going to eat that. And then the monster's like, hey, guess what? We're already in the truck, so let's go. And um, so that's what I would do. And, and um, when I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I have to quit, quit, I was starting to – I'd lost 100 pounds, and I was like, okay, well, I can lose 100 eating right. I wonder how much I can lose by eating right and exercising. You know, and then I got into the program of recovery and I'm like, okay, now I need something to do with my time instead of worry about why I can't drink. Sorry, did you hear that thunder? <laughs> no, I, we're good, but uh, okay, yeah, good. rolling thundering good. hills in Wichita, Kansas. Love it. Yeah, no, there's no hills, man. It's playing oh. pancake out here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Tornadoes? Uh, yeah, we got tornadoes. Not today, but uh, they do happen. So I got to a point where, because I worked second shift at this time, and so I would get home and I would have two or three hours where that's where I used to drink, you know? And so I decided to start working out. And I worked out a little bit with a Biggest Loser program for the Wii Fit, and then I decided to start running, you know, because I'd always hated running. I never even did it, you know, when I was a, not, not as a kid kid, but like in high school, about high school, I was like, nah, I ain't running anymore. <laughs> and uh, so I just didn't. You know, even when I was in PE, they're like, run. I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so I was like, I, you know, I realized now that I was limiting myself. And so I was like, well, let's try this out. And so I started running in place in my home. And I would do it about five minutes with the Wii. And then uh, I got to a point where I was running for about 30 minutes at a time, running in place wow. in a house. And I was like, if I don't take this outside, I'm likely to wear a hole in my carpet. And <laughs> so I started running outside. And I really wasn't measuring distances. I was just more wanting to get out there and do it. You know, I wasn't, wasn't checking my speed, wasn't checking my distance. But after a while, I started to realize I was out there for 
about an hour. And I'm like, well, I better take this to the daytime, you know, because I was running at about 11 or midnight. You know, that way if something happens to me, somebody finds me. Because once, which, about 10 o'clock, Wichita is pretty quiet, you know. And if I fell into a ravine because, you know, I sprained my knee or had a heart attack or something, they wouldn't find me until I was dead. Sure. So um, I decided to start running during the day. And I started to get better and better and better at it, you know, just because you just, like with the program, you stay on top of it. You do what, you know, works. And you um, work out. You know, I would lift weights. Also, I would do cardio. I was working out about two hours a day. This was pre my son. But I would work out about two hours a day, and I'd monitor my calories. And after two and a half years, I lost 200 pounds. I started out at 400, and I ended out at 195. Congratulations. That's incredible. That's an entire transformation. You, it's, a, it's like a whole heavy monster just gone. I heard the thunder there. Man, they even scared the pigeons. I got you. Hey, real right, quick, what that. a strange question, John. What's your favorite dance move? I, um, you know, I always, <laughs> I always tell people that once my son was born, my ability to dance disappeared. <laughs> but uh, when I was dancing, the robot was my favorite. Ah, I thought you were going to say the running man, dude, to just running for 30 minutes in place with oh, the Oh, man, why did I not see that guy? Yeah, kind of, yeah, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> yeah, but and yeah, there's so, another uh, thing I want to chat with you about before we hit the yeah. rapid fire round is at the beginning of the interview, you, you were talking to a coworker. And I was like, well, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just, I just stepped outside of work. And I said, well, do they know what's going on? And how cool is that? Yeah, I can just imagine you going to a supervisor and saying, hey, Tom, hey, Cheryl, I'm going to do this interview for Recovery Elevator. It's about uh, you know, alcoholism and things like that. Can I step out from you know, 10 a.m. to 10.40 a.m.? Like, yeah, of course, John. Do your thing. How cool is that? And you said you're mildly open about your recovery at work? That, yeah, that, all those things are correct. My supervisor, I told her a couple of days ago, actually, I told my lead first. I said, hey, I'm going to need about an hour on Friday. I've got an interview with the recovery show. She's like, oh, my God, are you leaving? And I said, no, it's <laughs> about my recovery. She's like, oh, okay. And then so I told my boss yesterday pretty much the same thing, my supervisor. I said, uh, hey, um, I need to uh, do a recovery podcast. I've got an interview to do. I said, it's something I really want to do. And it's going to take about an hour Friday. She's like, you, are you leaving? I said, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> however, if you don't let me do this, I might leave. <laughs> Great leverage. <laughs> Prior to that, um, we have an HR person. And I told her, uh, she used to be my neighbor's mom. Or my neighbor, the, he moved. And she's his mom. So she saw me when I was at, you know, 400 pounds drinking and doing coke and all that kind of stuff. So she had seen me at my worst. And so she's aware of my recovery. And then um, I told the boss of Wichita, oh, and I told the HR, the same person, and my supervisor, and my lead, I said, hey, if somebody ever comes to you and says, I don't know how to stop, you know, I don't know how to stop drinking, I don't know how to stop smoking marijuana, I don't know how to stop, you know, doing prescription drugs, I said, I can help you get that person somewhere. You know, I can, I said, I can't make them not be an addict anymore, I said, but I can definitely point them in the right direction if they really want help. So you took your alcoholism, being an alcoholic, which most people hide to the vest. They never let that secret out. And you put that in the asset column. You walked straight up to the HR and said, hey, I want to help somebody. I'm going to make this company a better company. Somebody comes in and says they can't quit, send them to my way. And they're like, wow, you know, we have no idea what to do when those people show up. Nice job, man. I bet that's got to feel good, right? Yeah, it, it, it feels good. And to me, it's kind of it's kind of like service work, you know, because you're, you know, you're sticking your hand out to the next alcoholic. And and at this point, I don't even know who that alcoholic is or if I'll even meet that alcoholic here. But I know that I have laid down the groundwork 
to meet that person, you know, to help them get into a program of recovery if that's what they want to do with their lives. That is so cool. And John, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? All righty, let's do it. Number one, John, what was your worst memory from drinking? You know, my, my worst memory was not the lightning bolt moment where I woke up covered in puke on the floor. It was when I, uh, don't forget in your underpants, John. Correct. Yeah. Covered in puke in my underpants on my bathroom floor. You know, I'm trying to set that hot central image for everybody. Exactly. And and um, like the baking divine sun coming through the sunroof. Don't leave that part out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right into my eyeball. I swear it all to holy. Yeah. And you were 400 uh, pounds at this point too, right? Uh, I was about 300 at that point. Oh, okay. You're good. Because I'd start getting sober. Or I'd, no, no, you're right. I was probably about 400 then. I'm sorry. But no, it was a time where I had the, the Dewey 50 moped, and I'd been drinking, and, and I was like, I just need to stay home. You know, I, this is why I can't drink. And I got on the moped and you know, was like hunting down women, drugs, or booze, you know, whatever I could. And I just could not stop myself from drinking and driving. That, that was my moment of like, okay, you know. I, it took me a while, but that was a that was a moment for me. That was my that was my down moment. And uh, next question: We've all heard of the aha moment. It sounds like you just had one right there with the drinking and driving. But can you describe another oh shit moment where you realized, man, I can't control my drinking. I don't got this. Yeah, I would say that the the last day that I quit drinking, where I swore to myself I would only have two beers at the restaurant before my friend left town permanently. You know, and so it was an occasion I'd give myself a drink, and I'm like, I'm going to have two beers. And, you know, I literally looked down and saw, you know, the, the front of me just weird with drinks. I'm like, how did this happen? I mean, I literally thought to myself, even though I'm the one that bought all the drinks, how did this happen? How did I get here? You know, how, <laughs> why is there more than two beers in front of me? And, John, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward with over five years of sobriety? You know, that, that, this, this is a, another big cliche that they always say. If you like what you're getting, keep doing what you're doing. So I'm going to keep going to meetings. I'm going to keep being thankful every morning for my sobriety and I'm going to keep asking for more sobriety every night. And I'm going to keep, um, being honest with my friends and family about where I'm at in my sobriety. I'm going to keep going to meetings. I'm going to keep, you know, if, if I think somebody needs help, I'm going to talk to them. I've reached out to a couple of people on Facebook when I, when it looks like they're struggling. And, you know, I've, I've done some sponsorship. I'm not any good at it. <laughs> I've kept anybody sober, but I've, but I've stayed sober. So that, that's, that, that's the point of sponsorship from what I understand. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of close to the, my sponsor the other day. He's like, yeah, you, are you ready for your sponsee? I'm like, well, I'm a pretty competitive guy, you know, and, He's telling me like the rates. It's like, yeah, I don't know about that, but we'll we'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. And John, you've been sober for over five years. You've seen a lot of resources. What's your favorite resource in recovery? Uh, you know, right now, to be honest with you, is the uh, is the podcast because I can basically take a meeting with me anywhere. I can I can take a speaker with meeting with me anywhere. I can listen to it and I can listen to it and nobody even knows what's going on. I listen to at least one a day. And what and are some so podcasts really like you listen to? Uh, Recovery Elevator is one that I really enjoy. That Paul guy, you know, oh, he's handsome. Yep. Uh, he, looks like he works out a lot. Oh, okay. Thank you, thank you. The poodle Ben. I wasn't like lobbing that over the plate for you. I'd be like, hey, all right. Uh, I know. I know. When I say this, John, you got to say this. But yeah, I'm just out of curiosity. Like, what are what are some other podcasts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really enjoy uh, share podcast with Omar Pintaro. Um, I also really like the Bubble Hour, and and I'll tell you, the Bubble Hour is an all female podcast. Usually, their guests are female, and I'll tell you why I like it because I can always identify with something the speaker says, always. And if it's a female that I've never met before, you know, on the other side of the continent, maybe this program or maybe this addiction or this disease affects 
everybody the same way, even though they're different people. Just maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. Yeah, I like both of those podcasts a lot. And John, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, you know, a lot of people will look for the differences, look for the similarities, you know. The first meeting I went to, there was, like, you know, different guys all over the spectrum, black, white, rich, poor, tall, small, young, old. But, you know, we all want to stay sober. We all want to quit drinking. We all want to make sure that the person in the room with us does the same thing, you know. So that's that's what we got similar. You know, yeah, we're, we're different looking, but the, we have way more similarities than differences, way more. Love it. And what parting piece of guidance advice can you give to somebody who wants to quit drinking? Just do it. You're going to, you're going to want to find a reason to not start. You're going to want to find a reason to, to give it one more day. You know, Oh, I've got all this beer in my fridge or I'm supposed to go out with my friends tomorrow, or I don't know what I'm going to do without drinking. Just, just do it. Just stop, you know, just stop today right now. John, before we depart, give listeners your own customized. You might be an alcoholic if line. <laughs> you might be an alcoholic if you throw your keys to your truck out the window because you know you are too fat to climb back out the window to fetch them. Oh, I love it. I love it. Please tell me there's security cameras where you're at and we have footage of this. And you <laughs> no tried to climb guy. out the window. <laughs> oh. No, my house has double deadbolt, double key deadbolt locks on the doors. So yeah. once you lock them and then pick the keys out, you can't unlock the, the, the doors. And I was so big at that point, there was no way I was sneaking out a window. Man, nice job, though. Yeah, that's what you got to do. I've done similar things just like that. And, John, thank you so much for joining us and helping me stay sober. Yeah, man. Thank, thank you very much for interviewing me, man. I really hope this helps somebody. This is becoming one of my favorite life hacks. In the famous classic War and Peace, Leo Tolstoy wrote, The two strongest warriors are time and patience. What the hell does that mean? Well, sleep on it. That would be the outbox in your email client. Sleep on it. We alcoholics, we tend to hit the eject, the panic, the self-sabotage button rather quickly. Before I had my lean buddy, my emotional leaning partner, I would work things up in my mind so quickly I wouldn't be thinking clear and boom, make a decision that was irrational, not well thought out, and I'd have to face those consequences for a significant time to come. So just sleep on it. Write that email, put it in your outbox, read it the next morning, usually you won't send it. So recovery elevator, we took the elevator down, we gotta take the stairs back up. We can do this.